This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barnes. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we hear from Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the National Basketball Association, as the Golden State Warriors take on the Toronto Raptors in their search for a third straight championship. In the beginning of the year, you want every single one of your fans believing that your team can win that year. And so for us, that's, that's in a sense, what we strive for. And, um, and I'd say, you know, we still have some work to do there. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. Beginning, speaking of the Toronto Raptors, forward Kawhi Leonard. Uh-oh, suing You're not saying it right. First of all, I have to correct you. Uh-oh. If you come from we the North, the yes. six, if you will, oh, it's not. Ter- you know this, Edmund, right? I, yeah, I know. What it's the six not. Is. Ter- yes, but it's not Toronto. You don't say the second T. They'll look at you and say you. You're not from here. Well, how would you pronounce it? It's Toronto, like two N's. You don't put the second T. Ask anybody. It's Toronto. Now, this is some stuff that they pull in Massachusetts <laughs> when they New pronounce it. It's New Orleans, not New Orleans. It's Toronto. And you yeah. know I spend a lot of my time there and stuck in some hockey ring. It's Toronto. Anyway. Yeah. It's so, Kawhi. <laughs> basketball, huh? It's basketball, yeah. <laughs> well, now what's the deal with this? Why, why is he suing Nike? Because Kawhi came up with his own logo. He literally traced his hand, looks like a claw. Right. You know, and Nike is using it. And actually, they're, they have it. They're not really using it. And Kawhi's not so happy about that. He thinks it's sort of a restraint of trade. And the L.A. Clippers uh, have a role in this, too. And Steve Ballmer, everybody knows they would like to have Kawhi Leonard on their team. They would like to acquire the mark and then give it to Kawhi as an inducement. Say, see how much? like They have found out how much this means to him. And in, in they're trying to unearth what can we do to get Kawhi Leonard to come here. So they would like to acquire the mark and gift it to him. This feels like a good lesson for, for young athletes, If you believe kind of what Kawhi lays out in the lawsuit, he created this logo. He later signed with Nike. They used it together for Kawhi apparel. And in that process, Nike trademarked it. Right. So now that he's no longer with Nike, he wants to use it again. And Nike's saying, no, listen, it's ours. Um, So if it is true that he built it, never trademarked it, never protected it, Signed it away in some contract to Nike and now can't get it. That seems like a good lesson you for should athletes. Should have trademarked it and licensed trademark it, it for origin- originally. Right. Two though, real quick. How about the timing on this? Yeah, we're in the middle of, middle the, of NBA the NBA finals, and Kawhi Leonard team, yeah. is suing the biggest sportswear company well, in the now world. Now you know how much it means to him. Very bizarre. On to our next topic: Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, or Danica Patrick's man. <laughs> became the highest paid player in the NFL <laughs> back in August. And now it looks like he's found a new way to put that money to work. Well, I think this might be easier to go the other way. Which athlete, Edmund, is not part of a venture fund? Can we find the athlete today that <laughs> yeah. is not part of a venture fund? It's funny. I was. I feel like there's not that many football players that are like well-known 
investors out there. And Dominic and Sue, sure, friend yeah. of the program. Yeah, yep. but you're right. When when you just sign a four year, 134 million dollar extension, do yeah, you do it. something with that money. Yeah. So he is being you know part of a, a fund. Um, Managed by professionals, of of course, but he's got some smart man. Yeah, you know, bring in some other athletes as well. Yeah, um, Danica, I believe one of them, Danica Patrick. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe Danica's in the fund as well. Um, looking at like consumer products, so big name athletes, consumer products. There's obviously synergies there. Yeah. $50 million up front. They've already made a few investments. One of them, a rowing machine company, Hydro. Makes sense. The, the helmet maker, Vices, which I believe just recently got the highest, highest rating. Yeah, yep. highest protection rating um, for, for NFL and, and, and youth helmets. Um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be, there'll be more here. But as you said, Scott, this is a... This is the playbook for for wealthy athletes, right? Find a smart investor, use your name, use some of your money, use that some of their you money in places they couldn't go. Absolutely, and we'll see where it goes. Staying in the NFL now, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Here's the playbook. Here's the playbook. Commissioner yeah, Roger playbook. Goodell. This, this is the one that brings me up, saying that the team is like, look, y'all need a new stadium. Now the commissioner is saying, y'all need a new home. Well, this is. This is what the playbook says. The team floats yeah. the idea, then yeah. the league. Nobody has come out and said the Buffalo Bills are leaving the area if they don't get a stadium. And I will say ellipse dot 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 yet. You know, they haven't heard that. But this is the playbook, the pro sports playbook. How much of a new stadium, renovate, whatever you want to say, how much will taxpayers fork over? Look at $750 million in Las Vegas. If you need to know why, the why behind the Raiders move to Las Vegas, $750 million public dollars, the largest subsidy in the history of pro sports. That's why they're there. I so mean, but now you got to see what what do the folks in Buffalo want to do to keep their Yeah, team? but Bills fans have always been loyal to the old Orchard Park. Doesn't matter. Always loyal to Bar. Here we go again. We know it doesn't matter. Were Rams fans loyal? Yes. Yes. And, yeah. It doesn't matter. It do- Raiders fans were loyal too. Chargers fans were loyal. Chargers too? fans were loyal too. Keep. Yeah. I mean, keep it moving. Doesn't matter. Oh man. Where's the money coming from? That's all. It's a business. Now let's get to this week's interview with Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the National Basketball Association. He, of course, is responsible for the league's business operations, including all the international efforts, and those are many, oversees the global partnerships, marketing, communications, and team marketing for the NBA. Mark, thanks for joining us in studio today. Thank you, Scott. Great to see you. It is. It's been a while. How long have we known each other now? Probably at least a dozen years or Let's so. put it in basketball terms. Who were, who were the good teams? That, like, I, I really, like, I'm trying the to Lakers, think. the Kobe days. I, the... I mean, I used to spend my May and June almost every year in L.A. It became my home away from home. Mm-hmm. And now Golden State's sort of taken that dominant role that we can kind of guarantee they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Parody, good or bad? I think for par- the NBA. Oh, I, I think parity is great. I think that's what ultimately what we strive for, right? Is in the beginning of the year, you want every single one of your fans believing that your team can win that year. And so for us, that's that's in a sense what we strive for. And um, and I'd say, you know, we still have some work to do there. I mean, six out of the last ten uh, champions, NBA champions, have been different champions. And so, yes, the Golden State Warriors have had a have had an incredible run, and I think that's a run that should be celebrated for their excellence and, and what they're doing. It, it, it really is historical, right? Only two other teams, they're trying to win their third 
NBA championship in a row. Only two other teams have done that in the last 50 years. And so um, they are on the, 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 they're at least trying to accomplish something that's very rare in sports. Well, they change hearts and minds, which to me is always the hardest thing to accomplish, especially in a place like New York where there's such an affinity for the home team. But if you walk around any playground, and this is not a shot at the Knicks, I don't see Knicks jerseys. I see LeBron jerseys, and I see Steph Curry jerseys. That's it. They have really penetrated the hearts and minds. Yes, without a doubt. And I think a big part of that, too, that's really uh, an interesting phenomenon is technology. And because our games now are so readily available to everyone around the world, quite frankly, um, you know, team players, I'm sorry, fans have become uh, fans of different players, of different teams. And so, you know, just be, even though you're in New York, um, I'm sure there's, and I know there's lots of fans who love the Knicks here in New York, obviously, but they also get the opportunity to follow different teams and follow different players. One of David Stern's favorite stories, and I'm sure you've heard it when he was in Timpu Bhutan at the Internet Cafe <laughs> looking at the kid and he's watching the Kobe Bryant pitch. Yes. You've been all over the world with this game. Give me your story where you where it really resonated with you that this is basketball without borders. Oh, without a doubt. So I was recently in Vietnam in May, um, and I was walking around. And again, even there, you see Golden State Warriors jerseys. You see Lakers. Are they jerseys. real? Do you check to see if they're knockoffs? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I didn't. I didn't check, uh, but they were wearing them. They're wearing them. And I've been. Um, I was in the Ivory Coast uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, for some FIBA meetings, and you see jerseys and you see people walking around with uh, apparel and merchandise there too. So there isn't, um, you know, I was recently, I actually took a vacation to the Maldives, and I'm talking uh, to a Greek um, uh, worker there who, and I just said to him, I said, and I, he didn't know who I was. I said, uh, you ever hear of uh, Giannis? He goes, of course, all of Greece, all of, all of the world has heard of Giannis. And so even on this little island in, in Maldives, you know, you, you find people who are passionate about this game, which is such an incredible thing He says, thing I'm watching see. it on my Apple phone. What are you kidding me? Not just heard of it, he watches it. <laughs> exactly. Does it, does it change the way you reach out to fans now that, you know, the regionality may be a little bit softer than it maybe it was 15 years ago when, you know, you grew up and you rooted not for a single player, but the team that you was in your home market? Oh, absolutely. I mean, our, th these finals will be broadcast in 215 different countries and territories and 50 different languages. Um, we have so many international broadcasters who have actually flown in and are who, who are calling the games in their native language from the arenas. Um, including, I think, six new countries this year that have never done that before. And so we continue to uh, customize the game. Uh, this year, for the first year, this past season, we actually had games broadcast in Hindi in India. Um, and that opened up the market as well for the, the Indian market of people that don't speak English, that speak Hindi. So we're always trying to present the game with that local flavor and in a way that local fans can consume it easily. I know that you want packed arenas. I get it. But the business model has changed. And I talk about scale on this program all the time, that there's a certain number of arenas, certain number of dates, certain number of seats. That's a finite number. That's it. The real money opportunity is in the flat world. Tell me how the NBA plans to capitalize on that flat world and a world where anybody can watch anything, see anything on their phone, on their tablet, you name it. Yeah, um, it's a great point. I mean, we still, to your point, we still have room in arenas. We're not at 100% sold out in every single 
building for every single game. So there's definitely opportunity there, but the real opportunity, as you said, is to make sure that we're getting our games consumed. And and, and the reality is, a very small percentage of people and of our fans actually end up ever watching a game in an arena. Well, they don't live near arenas. I mean, that's the (laughs) fact. They don't live anywhere near these arenas. Exactly. I mean, think about the 300 million people who play basketball in China. Uh, Very few of them will ever get to an NBA arena. So we have to continue to be creative in how we're presenting the game to them and how we're making it available to them. Um, And that's one of the things now that we're very much thinking about, you know, and and looking at... um, how do we create a product, whether it's live game or not, that we can get in the hands of as many fans as possible? And I think that will that's one of the things that we're focused on. We're focused on improving that experience, whether it's through our League Pass product. Um, you know, we implemented this whole uh, different viewing experience called Mobile View. And the Mobile View gives you, because of a recognition that more and more people are watching games on their uh, mobile device, it gives you a different camera angle than your traditional camera angle, which will hopefully improve the experience for you, which will make you more likely to want to watch games on your mobile device. Um, we are, are doing all kinds of experiments now with watching portions of games or buying a, one game or buying following your team and different kinds of packages. So it's really about keeping the fan in mind and what they're looking for and how they're consuming content, and then really trying to customize our product to them. We are chatting with Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the National Basketball Association. And you've been there, what, about 20 years? Uh, 20 years in July. Before that. Oh, yeah. You chuckle that nowadays the buzzword is OTT. Direct to consumer <laughs> OTT. Yes. Like, ooh, this is new Fandango. Yes. League Pass was OTT. Absolutely. When when did League Pass start? Uh, League Pass started. I can't remember the exact year, but, but we've been doing League Pass for you know a, a decade or so. I mean, it's so so. Yes, we have been delivering um, our product direct to consumer. Now there are things that we can do. I think to enhance that product and to change it. It's priced at a premium today. But like I said, we're starting to experiment now. There's still the the restrictions in terms of out of market restrictions. Um, but it's a, pro, it's, a, it's a product that we're seeing growing um, double digits internationally year over year over year, and the same thing here in the U.S. There's as a well. recognition that the final five minutes of a basketball game may be, I don't want to say more desirable, but they <laughs> may be of uh, interest to many well, of your viewers. Well, well, I think there's an opportunity when there's close games, right? You get an alert now um, if you have League Pass. You get an alert that says, hey, there's a this one's going down to the wire. Tune in now, and we're we're competing for um, people's attention. There's so much out there, so many other options that people can have. So we need to continue to find ways to make sure that people um, get engaged with our product. And and I think League Pass makes it available to everybody that wants it. But there's things that we will continue to do and have been doing to get people to know about it, and then they can go and consume that game. You mentioned the microtransactions selling the fourth quarter, the, the second half. You guys are kind of blazing new ground for, for U.S. sports leagues, at least in that world. Tell us some of the things you've learned about NBA fans now that that is an option. Anything that surprised you about their buying patterns or, or, or the thirst for, for smaller than a single game packages? Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, it, it's been interesting to see because it, it has done well. Um, but but there are more people, Scott, than you would than you would think that actually want to consume the whole game, and the the, the they the, don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. I, I think I think it's you know for us it's incumbent on us to market 
that product, to let people know that it is available, to let people know when, um, and, 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 you know, people want to be, in a way, kind of led to the great stories and the, and the great matchups and the great games. And so we as leagues, I think, have to be able to, have to be very good at telling those stories. Again, big part because there's so much competition out there in, for, for people's share of mind. And we need to continue to be able to to be innovative in how we present that product and how we tell those stories. And how do your how do the kind of the linear TV partners that you have how do they kind of react to the micro segmentation? I mean, I'm thinking that you know five years ago, if Dame Lillard was going off in the fourth quarter and I wanted to watch it, I kind of had to get to a TV if I wasn't you know a, a league past season long member. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, I can get the, the end of that game for a couple bucks. Mm-hmm. Right, it kind of changes. The, it obviously changes the options, but it also might change the motivation for getting to a TV. How yeah, do but, Turner and you know ESPN kind of react to the the increased you know dicing up of, of those games? For sure. Years? So so it's interesting. Turner is our partner, obviously on NBA Digital. So they actually have a vested interest in, um, and and for them it's almost it's almost neutral, right? Because they're a partner in NBA Digital, which produces League Pass, and so um, they're they in that. Respect. They want the same thing that we want, which is to get the most number of fans engaging with the product, uh, whether that's on the digital platform or on their platform. Um, I will say that uh, they have come around to understanding that those kinds of promotional opportunities and getting those fans engaged in watching our product will lead them more likely to follow the NBA and to watch games on TV. Now, there's a whole class of fans out there who are either cutting their cord or who are um, who have never subscribed to a, a, a you know a, a, a cable network or satellite provider um, and so there's a recognition by our partners that there has to be some way to continue to engage those folks and you know we obviously have partnerships digital partnerships with um, the AT&T uh, now the Warner Media and as well as the Disney Corporation to make sure that the games that they have they're also delivering um, to consumers digitally as well. You're also changing the broadcast itself to those people. You're experimenting with different hosts. Can you deliver? I, I'm obviously I know the answer because you're doing this. But does that one size fits all work anymore, or do you have to give this segmented audience specifically? what they're more inclined to want. I think to be most effective, you have to segment, right? And it goes back to this theme that we've been talking about where it is so competitive that you can't treat every customer the same way. I think one of the areas that we're making significant investments in is our um, consumer data strategy and really trying to understand who our core customers are because they're different. And there are customers who um, have engage with the NBA because their kids are fans of the NBA, and that's what got them involved. There are some who grew up playing the game and always loving the game, and so um, they want different things from us, and it's incumbent upon us, and I think the future of how we market to how we market our sport is to really be one-to-one, customized, delivering content on the platform, the kinds of content, whether it's on a player, on a team, that that specific fan wants. We're not there Yet, but I think that's ultimately where we and everyone else is going to have to get. We're to. chatting with Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner of the NBA. Could you just give me a little bit more on that? Who's helping you do that? What are you unearthing? And the long play, do you see that all the information you're getting creating a better value play 
to advertisers who look to associate with the league. There's no doubt. We're getting all kinds of information from our fans. And, and you know, we know, for example, um, if a fan is more likely to, um, an NBA fan, uh, how they're perceiving a different partner. So, uh, you know, if, if a fan is in the market for buying a uh, vehicle in the next uh, 12 months, um, we, we can capture that information, share it with Kia, and say, hey, here's your opportunity. This person is a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, they're located in Chicago, and they're interested in, in the market uh, for buying a new car in the next 12 months. Why don't you serve them up some Chicago Bulls-themed um, advertising around Kia and a special offer? So, so we can do that kind of stuff. Have you seen now. any ROI? Have you heard back from advertisers saying, hey, thanks, that worked? Absolutely. Our partners are, you know, one, one of the reasons that our partners are so, um, uh, why they partner with us, quite frankly, is because we can deliver this audience of engaged fans. And we're starting now to collect more and more information on those fans and their likes and their habits. Um, and we're partnering with our uh, with these marketing partners now to be able to tell stories around that. We're in the middle of the NBA Finals, looking for some headline fodder here. Drake has caused uh, a little bit of a stir on the uh, on the sideline for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, <laughs> a representative of the team, you know, he's interacted with players, coaches, etc. Uh, is there an official NBA position on, on on Drake right now? Is he has he gone too far? Is it is it fine where he is right now? Look, Drake, Drake is a super fan. Um, the commissioner said this the other day. He he, it's wonderful to have fans as passionate as him, um, and the fact that he is a global, worldwide celebrity um, that that that's a good thing. I, I think uh, he understands that there are certain lines that can't be crossed, including um, contacting and, and interacting with. Uh, whether it be a coach or players on on the sideline, but he gets that and and he completely understands that. And that, you know, I think uh, you know even in the last couple of games, um, there have been no issues with Drake. So he, it's wonderful to see his passion for his uh, his his team, his Toronto Raptors. One other thing I've noticed in Toronto. You know, there's obviously so many questions about Kawhi Leonard and what his future is like, um, and there have been a number of Toronto businesses that have dangled. Potentially, you know, things that are tangible value. Inducements. To, to a Kauai. free penthouse is more than a tangible. A penthouse, <laughs> you know, unlimited food at specific restaurants, et cetera. Uh, certainly done kind of tongue-in-cheek, trying to show him that, you know, the city loves him. Is that okay under the CBA? Is that is that kind of some kind of circumvention of, you know, salary cap rules? Where, where, by the way, we, we were talking about that. I said, out? as long as the team's not involved, Mike, yeah, exactly. as long as the yes. team's not involved, I'm guessing the NBA is okay. If some developer wants to give Kawhi Leonard a penthouse. Is that is that true? Can, yeah, can city... right. Our, our circumvention rules go to teams, right? Okay. Teams can't engage in certain activities that will circumvent the salary cap. There is a... There is a there are a set of rules that are collectively bargained that um, dictate and determine what how how our players can comp, how our teams can compensate our players and so um, you know as long as the team is not involved in those different activities I mean there's nothing stopping you know developers in in any city offering any player um, those kinds of inducements as long as they're not tied to our teams but what I will say is you know in, in those kinds of things I don't I have no idea where Kawhi's head is. Um, on where he wants to play next year, but uh, for him to understand how much that city uh, loves him and has embraced him, you know, you can only I think feel good about that. Now, I would imagine that that Kawhi would be embraced in many, many, many cities, but it, you know, I don't. I'm not sure. 
quite frankly, how much that stuff actually plays into uh, these guys' decisions, their ultimate decisions. I but, can't imagine it, it does, <laughs> right, but I do. Right. I can envision a scale at which this happens that in the future it might. Sure. Yeah. Sure. We're chatting with Mark Tatum, Deputy Commissioner of the NBA, and Mark, sports betting, everybody's talking about it. Certainly a revenue stream of, of the future. We'll see where it goes. But from what I'm hearing from all the sports leagues is that the data, fast, accurate data now, is of utmost importance and value. How does the NBA capitalize on the data that it has? Well, I think we've already started because we have official partnerships. So we have um, right now five partners that get our official data. There are um, three uh, you know, operate, operator par- partnerships, and then we have two data partnerships. And the integrity of the data is so critical, right? I mean, when you think about the entirety of the sports betting world, it's predicated on accurate real-time data. Fast. Fast data, absolutely. Algorithms are spinning to give new odds. Will he make this free throw? Will he whatever? Exactly, and that's what makes that that's what makes our data so valuable. Because, um, and it's a, and it's important too that those operators are out there using accurate data. There is some subjectivity, for example, um, on uh, you know potential plays that have to have a determinative outcome, and only the league can make that decision. So. Um, if you're a consumer and you're looking to make a bet, you want to know that the data that's being used there is the official league data and that it's real and that it's accurate. That's so important and that's so critical. And I think that's why we're making the point that if you're a partner of ours, um, you will get access to that data. It will make your products better. Um, I think that the... the, the um, uh, increase in in-play betting, right? We're seeing in developed betting markets that in-play is really where um, the value is. And I think the only way you can do that is if you're getting fast, accurate, real-time data. Now, having spent many, many a year in NBA locker rooms, the easiest data point I would think to measure would be a player's height. Now, I have stood next to many a uh, seven-footer, or so they claim to be. <laughs> I have spoken with many players. Malik Rose, one of them, retired player who once told me, mm-hmm. it's like, nobody wanted a 6'5 player. I had to put down 6'8", 6'9", to get looked at. So that's a data point. Mm-hmm. Is there a change coming where the seven-footer can no longer budget and say, I'm 6'10", because I don't want to be stereotyped back to the basket? It's interesting. It's it's kind of, Yes, it's gone both ways, right? Where um, if you're undersized, you want to uh, represent that you might be taller than you are. And there are some big guys who, who I imagine if you went through the list, you'd go, wait, that guy's a lot taller than he's saying he is. But um, they don't want to be pigeonholed or stereotyped into, well, he's a seven-footer, so that means he can't do certain things. Yeah, 6'11", so, it's okay to play on the outside. If you're seven <laughs> but, feet, get your butt down by the basket. Exactly, exactly. But, but I do think that in this new world that we're living in, um, the integrity of that information is critical, and um, and I would say that you know that's uh, that's knowable information, um, and it's something that we are looking at um, because it's knowable, and and there and and there, you know, the standards now in a legalized sports betting world are going to be much much higher um, than they ever have been, and we're looking at not just that, but we're looking at all kinds of 
things, injury reporting and, and the like, and when is it material? You know, you, you have to balance, um, in, in those particular situations, you have to balance um, things like player privacy vis-a-vis uh, -vis disclosure. And so, um, they're, 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 you know, it's hard. They're, these are some complicated issues, but all those things I would fall into the, 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 the bucket or the category of the integrity of the data, which is critical. So what would this the change be? I'm just curious, what would the change be, though? Because the NBA didn't measure the players. You kind of always trusted the teams to do it. Right, right. So now is it a directive to the teams? Listen, you have to get it right, or we yeah, have no, to oversee no, no, it? Nothing has, nothing, there's been no directive or anything right. like that now. But but as we've talked about, it's one of those things that we're looking at to say, okay, how do we capture that, inf that information? How do we ensure that that information is accurate? Is it a team thing is a league thing you know at our draft combine for example we have the opportunity to measure guys there with shoes without shoes um you know the 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 the, the you know I, I think the we have to have a standard measurement um where everybody stands there without shoes you know back straight and, and we get an accurate measure somebody once told me that the draft combine is the incredibly shrinking player that's when everybody's <laughs> three to four inches shorter than what they say in their book right right I, the, gra I, the gravity in Chicago is uh, is is great. And also, a doctor told me, by the way, best time if you want to be taller, <laughs> right. measure, measure yourself when you first wake up, because oh. you could be an inch taller at the beginning of the day. Wake up, hang upside down on one of those inversions. Right. You could be an inch taller than if you measured yourself late in the afternoon. And, and, and ten pounds lighter. Well, but for me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've written a bit about the data privacy from a player personnel standpoint. Um, and you guys were kind of on the front edge again in, in this process. Your most recent CBA, you put in some language about wearables and, and what teams were allowed to use and not allowed to use when it came to contract negotiations, etc. As we dive deeper into this world of data, not just for sports gambling, but also for medical purposes, for nutrition, sleep, etc. How big do you, do you envision kind of that part of negotiations Becoming between players and teams and the league, because all these things have kind of tangible monetary value, kind of moving forward. Yeah, that that's definitely one of those areas where we had lots of conversations with Michelle and the Players Association about that. Like like I said earlier, there is that balance between um, player privacy, how that information is being utilized um, by teams. You know, there are lots of players who want that information because it can help them improve their performance and in some cases it could potentially help them help them save their lives right and so i think that kind of information and access to um to data and and, and health information is critical and it's something that um the players want and it's something that our teams want um but we have to figure out how to use it and how how not to use it um and i think that's a collaborative conversation that we have started and have been having with the Players Association, but those those conversations have been very, very productive with them. All right. Michelle, of course, Michelle Roberts, the Executive Director of the NBPA. Mark Tatum, NBA Deputy Commissioner, thanks so much for coming on in. Thank you, guys. Thanks, it was Mark. a pleasure being here. Thanks. Got to tell you, you know what I take away from this interview? Eben, you know mm. I love it. You know I love this. The, the height of the players. Mm. All these years... And I've known, because I've spent enough time in these locker rooms, a guy lifts himself at seven feet. I'm like, you know, I'm up to his nose. I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right. Or a guy lifts himself at uh, 6'10", and I'm like, whoa, 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 you're standing next to a seven-footer. you got three inches on him. They're, they're cracking down. But it's so interesting that they were, it was a fun joke, wink, nod. Nobody really cared. Nobody got hurt. But in a world of sports betting where you're saying our data is accurate and valuable and you should pay for it and you got to have it, 
If it's so easily measurable, heights and weights, you got to get it right. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my takeaway, which is that, you know, as we, as leagues and teams and players dive deeper and deeper into data, we're going to continue to have a bigger and bigger conversation about who owns what and what can be used for what. I can't imagine Kevin Durant really cares if, you know, the public knows if he's 7'1 or 6'11. But as we go into things like, heart rate and nutrition and sleep and things like that, uh, skin conductance, uh, there is going to continually be a big conversation about what teams are allowed to take, what they can use to help players recover, but can't use when it comes to negotiation time for contracts. All leagues are dealing with this, and it's going to continue to be a bigger issue moving forward. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for our number of the week, Scott. Uh, you haven't been briefed on it, but the number is 32. 32. 32 consecutive wins. Oh, I was going to say Magic Johnson. No. All right, then I don't know who has 32 consecutive wins. The Jeopardy guy. Oh, I, how did I not get that? James Holtzauer, uh, who yeah. finally lost his run on Jeopardy this week. Yeah, and I feel better that he that he went out, even if he had made the full bet, and I've heard all the explanations yeah, yeah. behind the numbers, had he bet it all. He still would have lost. Yeah, he still would have lost. I feel better. Not, imagine if he had done the math, and, but, and then the woman got it wrong, and he would have won had he bet more. I'm glad it didn't happen that way. He was going to go down no matter what. A sports better, a guy who's worked in the industry for a while, and I think you saw it in the way that he played. You know, he was clearly playing at a different strategy than almost anybody else. He worked bottom up, trying to get a bigger stack before going after the, the, the daily doubles. doubles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, you, a lot of people out there think he's the best ever. He was essentially in the game he lost, he could have eclipsed Ken Jennings' dollar total. Uh, so he made just under, I think, just under $2 million, which is not a bad uh, not a bad result for, for, for a week or two of work. And people cared because you saw the rating on the final show after word leaked out that he had lost. Was like right up there with major sporting events. Absolutely. My <laughs> guess is you'll see him again in the Tournament of Champions and things like that. Right. Who is... Evan Novi Williams. That's my answer to all questions. I don't know. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business world. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs> 